verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Thank you. Please be seated. So back in the uh, dark ages when I finished my junior year in high school, I was excited about life and looked forward to the future. I had a wonderful family and enjoyed growing up on the farm. I also had a lot of extended family in the area and lots of friends at school. And the Lord had gifted me in a number of ways, and I had developed a good work ethic on the farm, which allowed me to accomplish a lot of my goals in high school. I was finding some success in sports, academics, student government, music, 4-H, and even our church youth group. Now, I'll be honest, there was a certain amount of glory that went along with all of my accomplishments. But as many of you know, God doesn't want us to settle for superficial glories that don't last. He wants us to experience Him and His eternal glory. And so God went to work in my life. Thank you, Jesus, and allowed my dreams to come to a crashing halt. Before the basketball season even started in my senior year, I had injured my knee and really couldn't compete that year. After that, I lost my joy, lost my swagger, and I lost a lot of my desire to succeed. I just felt lost, and indeed, I was. I was lost. And God left me in that state for almost a year before he entered my life as a freshman at Ball State University. And as I began to grow in Christ through his word and the encouragement of other believers, I began to see that God had a greater glory for me. The glory of knowing, loving, following, and serving Jesus Christ. And that's the glory that I've been pursuing for the past 48 years. Not perfectly, but persistently. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are here this morning as your sons and daughters. To hear from our Father, our Abba Daddy. Thank you, Lord, for being here. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you can touch the hardest of hearts. That you can take people caught up in their own self and their own pride and their own achievements. And you can draw them to yourself. 
see the worthless things are involved in and to see the greater glory of your supreme glory. So, Lord, this morning, would you show us the lesser glories that we seek and overwhelm us with the supreme glory of knowing and following you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't already, please open up your Bible or device to Colossians 2, verse 16. You'll remember that the main theme of Colossians is the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Our life in Him is the ultimate glory that we should seek and not the many lesser glories of the world. When we do this, we mature in Christ, which is the title of our preaching series through the book of Colossians. Now, the lesser glories that we see mentioned in this passage include the following. Food and drink regulations, Old Testament festivals, the Sabbath, asceticism, which just means harsh treatment of the body, worship of angels, puffed-up visions, human precepts and teachings, and self-made or man-made religion. Now, before we dive into this passage, let me remind you that Paul has already told the Colossians not to be captivated by demon-inspired teaching or human tradition that tries to add things to Christ rather than exhorting them to lean in or to press in to Christ and Him alone. So if you just look back at Colossians 2.4, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Why would Paul say that? Why would he say that he doesn't want them to be deluded with plausible arguments? Well, he said just prior to that in verses 2 and 3 that in Christ we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, why should we give ear to other arguments and be deluded? And then in verse 8 from Grant's teaching last week, it says this in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, why would he say that? Let no one take you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. He goes on in verse 9 and 10. For in him, for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. In Jesus, you have all of God, all of the wisdom and knowledge that you might be seeking. So why be caught up in philosophy and empty deceit? And he says that in Christ, we have been filled up in him. In other words, there's nothing more that you need. So why pay attention? Why dwell on? Why try to keep up with the latest public opinion or our philosophy that might be out there? Everything that you have, everything that you everything you need, you can find and have in Christ. And he's the he's the head of all rule and authority. In other words, those either demonic inspired teachings or human traditions or teachings that might be out there, Christ is the greater authority. He rules over all of that other authority. So in Christ, we have the top authority. We have wisdom and knowledge. We have everything we need. Jesus is all we need. I mean, if you could just take away a simple phrase from the message today, just remember that. Jesus is all we need. He's everything. We'll find everything that our, that our heart desires as we seek him and his glory. So let's look at verse 16 here. Therefore, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. All right? So the first question we should ask is, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, if you go back up to verses 13 through 15, we see, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, here's what God has done for you. He's made you alive together with Christ. He's forgiven us all of our trespasses. He's canceled out the record of our sin dead and nailed it to the cross, and he's defeated all of our enemies. That's why the therefore is therefore. Because of all those things that God has done for us through Christ. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. And it's probably a good thing, too, uh, because none of us can completely, fully fulfill the law. You see, all the things that are mentioned in verse 16 are part of the old covenant or the law. And since Christ ushered in a new covenant based on his sovereign grace, he tells the Colossians they should no longer be judged on their ability to keep the old covenant or the law, which is a very good thing because of James 2.10, which says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. As hard as you might try, Colossians, to keep the law, to observe all of these yearly, monthly, and and weekly times that the old covenant had, as hard as you try, you're going to break the law. We are law breakers, but Christ is not. Christ fulfilled the law. And so in Matthew 5.17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Jesus is speaking. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You and I never could fulfill the law. We definitely, I mean, I think every hour, if not every minute, I stumble over one point. So I'm breaking the law continually. We just can't do it. But Christ did. And when we're in him, all right, we have his righteousness because he perfectly fulfilled the law. And referring to judgment, here's what John 5.24 says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, folks, that's a good verse. You ought to memorize that one. That ought to be part of your arsenal. Whenever you're judging yourself or when you sense someone else is judging you, just remember that in Christ, when you put your faith in him, you not only have eternal life, you not only pass from death to life, but you will not come into judgment. Jesus took our sin. God was just and justified to forgive us. And then let me close this section with Hebrews 7, 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment, speaking of the law, is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. What is this better hope? Verse 22 tells us. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. 
Jesus is the better hope. Our hope is now in Christ who offers a better covenant. And so we don't have to keep the law. We don't have to be judged by those who say that we do. Look at verse 17 now. This is a key verse in this passage. Speaking of all of these regulations and festivals and things that that people did in the Old Testament before Christ and uh, perhaps others that the Colossians, that these false teachers have added on to the Colossians, all of those things, it says, these are a shadow. They're just a reflection of an image. They're a foreshadowing of something. What are they a foreshadowing of? Well, Christ. They're a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The shadow is a reflected image. Christ is the substance. He's the real thing. Romans 3.20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the works of the law comes knowledge of sin. All the law does for us. Yes, there's some guiding principles to try to live by. That's true. But really all the law does is it reveals our sin. It reveals our weaknesses. It shines a light on our sin. It only reveals the problem, but it doesn't save. All right, go to Galatians, if you will. Just go back to the left past Philippians and Ephesians and go to the book of Galatians. Paul kind of talks about this a little bit more when he's writing to the church in Galatia. Look at verse 23, Galatians 3, 23, if you would, please. Paul says, now before faith came, speaking of Christ, our opportunity to put faith in Christ, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, sort of our, uh, not not necessarily a schoolmaster, but sort of a, a severe disciplinarian. That's what the law was. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, we're no longer under this guardian or this disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So it's like the law points out our sin and then leads us to a Savior. The law could never save us. Its purpose was to reveal our sin and lead us to a Savior. The law was the lesser glory, showing us our need for the supreme glory of Christ. And that's where we're meant to live, in the awesome light of the glory of Jesus Christ. But when we, put, when we focus on these lesser glories, then our life begins to kind of revolve around them. And really, it's on Christ, the, great, the supreme glory, that we should focus and that should be our reason for getting up every day to live in that the glory of Jesus Christ. All right, go back to Colossians to verse 18, if you would, please. Verse 18. So Paul goes on and says, Let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you. If you look back at, at Galatians 1.12, Paul is praying for the Colossians, this fantastic prayer, and starting in verse 9. But in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
when someone tries to disqualify you and, and to say you're not part of the body or you're not, you're not going to receive this inheritance in Christ, just remember, it's, it's not what you do that qualifies you. God has qualified you in Christ. So Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These false teachers are caught up in themselves. They're not caught up into Christ. It's about them and human tradition, even demonic teaching that they're about. And so Paul is pushing back and saying, whatever, think, whatever things you think you need to add to your faith in Christ, just let go of them. The lesser things are not worth hanging on to. Put your arms around Jesus and hold tight. And that's all you need to do. So in, in regard to this asceticism or being harsh treatment of the body, uh, physical discipline, here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. See, there's the supreme glory there, training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, it's a lesser glory, it has some value, godliness or seeking Christ and his supreme glory is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. Do you all realize how short the present life is? I know some, some of you kids in here and, and maybe young adults, uh, maybe even some of you that are in your 30s or 40s, you're taking a look at life and you're projecting out and thinking, well, I've got a good number of years ahead of me. You don't know that. Life can end at any moment. I mean, really, in the, in the expanse of all eternity, our life here is like this. Can you see that point between my two fingers? That's about how long it is. So to put all our efforts into these lesser glories for this amount of time compared to putting time and energy and effort and, and heartfelt, uh, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm thinking of? Well, just giving our hearts to Christ and living here for his glory. It's for all of eternity. It just doesn't make sense to put your, your life in the hands of something that's going to pass away. And then regarding worship of angels, uh, here's what it says in Revelation 22, 8 and 9. John the Apostle, remember, has this, this vision of the future and of the glorified Christ. And so he says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. Now, it, it makes sense, doesn't it, a little bit? This angel has come to give a revelation, a vision to John about the glorified Christ. You see that in chapter 1. The state of the churches in chapters 2 and 3. And then from chapter 4 on, he's lifted up to heaven and being shown things of the future. Chapter 4 and 5 is about the, about the heavenly throne, and then the rest of it goes on to what's going to happen in the future. If an angel were to share those things with you, and you were just overwhelmed by them, you'd have a tendency to think, oh, I, I do need to to bow down. But no, the angel says to him, I, I, he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me them to me, but he said, you must not do that. I'm just a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, 
and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God, because God is the supreme glory. Again, even angels are not to be worshipped. They're created beings just like us. Yes, God uses them in fantastic ways, as we see in Scripture. And some are sent here to minister to us at times as well. But we worship the supreme God. We worship Christ. And then speaking of visions in Acts 2.17, it tells us that in the last days, people will prophesy. And they will see visions. And they'll dream dreams. But when anybody has words that are uttered in a puffed-up way, that does not glorify God and only glorifies them. And that reminded me of Paul's vision in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember that when Paul says, I want to tell you about a man. He doesn't claim to be the man, but he is the man that was caught up to the third heaven, up into paradise. And he saw things that, you know, mustn't be shared, mustn't be said to anybody else. I mean, Paul sees this, this vision of heaven, this vision of paradise, and doesn't want to talk about it. I mean, there's a man who understands that God showed him that for a purpose, but it wasn't something that he should be going around saying, hey, by the way, the other day I, I was in paradise. Let me tell you all about it. No, Paul wouldn't talk about it. But because God had given him that vision, what else did Paul, what else did God do with Paul's life? Gave him a thorn, right? So he wouldn't be puffed up. Praise God that as he blesses us and shows us things and gives us reason to glory in him, that he continues to bring some afflictions into our life so we don't think it's about us and that somehow we're special. We're only special because we're in Christ. We're only special when we pursue the glory of God. So let's go back to Colossians now, verse 19. Here's a key statement. So he says, no one, let no one disqualify you, insisting on all these you know, human traditions and teachings, and not holding fast to the head. That's a key line. That's something that, that the, the false teachers weren't doing that. They weren't clinging to Christ. They weren't holding fast to Christ. But we're to do that because he is the supreme glory. It says, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. You see, the body of Christ can in no way be nourished or knit together or grow in a godly way without the head, without Christ. It's just like the human body. Without a head, it's hard for the rest of the body to be nourished and to grow, right? You need a head with a physical body, and it's the same way with the body of Christ. So in Colossians 1.18, it talks about Christ being the head of the church because he's a, he is, first of all, the image of God, and he's the creator of the world. It was created, the world was created by him and for him. That's why he's the head. Now, I want to tie these three things together, nourished, being knit together, and growth into a passage in Ephesians. So if you will, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And this, this is important. When we talk about Franklin City Church and how we want to grow in the days and months and years ahead, 
this is a critical passage for you to know and to line up with and for all of us to to be of one mind on. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or the pastors and teachers. Why did God give gifts to people? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Notice that it's not just the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and and teachers that are doing the work of ministry. All of us do the work of ministry. But God sends to the church people that he has equipped to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what is that ministry? The building up of the body of Christ. Until what? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That's, that's our theme for Colossians, mature in Christ. To mature manhood, to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ, which is a lifelong journey, right? We begin it when Christ comes into our life, and then we continue to mature and to become more like him throughout the rest of our, our life. It's never complete till you see Jesus face to face. So that, and why do we do all that? Why do we mature? Why do we want to see this fullness and this nourishment in the body of Christ? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. God wants us to grow up. He doesn't want us to stay children. Just like we love all you kids that are in here right now, but you know what? We don't want you to stay kids. We want you to grow up, right, and become adults. And the same way in the body of Christ, we're to grow up, no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. What's the latest doctrine to philosophy out there today? God doesn't want us to be caught up in that. Oh, it's okay to be aware of them and be able to have discussions with people about the latest philosophy or way to live life or how we should run our families or run our government or run our country or whatever. But don't be tossed around by all those things. So not carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, here's what we should do as the body of Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. Grow up into him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, let me boil kind of boil it down, okay, that passage. When we make Christ the supreme glory that we're seeking and not these lesser glories, when we hold fast to the head, then the body is nourished. You're nourished, and as you are nourished, you nourish others. So the body gets nourished. It gets built up to the maturity, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a wonderful unity that pervades the body because of the unity that we have in Christ. And the beautiful thing is this, is all of that, God uses us to help accomplish that when each part is properly working. 
which means when you find a group of believers, whether it's a, a, a church setting on Sunday morning or a small group or a prayer partner or wh- whatever it might be, you know, uh, BSF, whatever, that God wants you to play a part in encouraging the, and helping others in that particular group to grow. They, in turn, are equipped for the ministry to help you be nourished and to grow and to have a sense of unity. Do you see the beauty of that interdependence upon one another? I mean, ultimately, we're dependent upon Christ, right? He's the head. But He lives in us and through us and uses us to bless one another. That is the beauty of the body of Christ that you will not find anywhere else in this world. Everything else is much less. God will grow us up and he'll build us up as individuals and as a church if we hold fast to him. So here's the question. Are you ready to let go of the lesser glories in your life and hold fast to Christ, the supreme glory? By the way, I'm not concluding here just in case you got your hopes up. I've still got more. Just asking the question. Are you ready to let go of those other things? Because whether, I mean, some you can call them idols of the heart, you can know, whatever. Here, here's a few of the lesser glories that I thought of that I thought I'd just mention this morning that, that perhaps people are holding fast to. Sometimes we hold fast to family expectations, you know, kind of all about our family and what we do as a family, all right? That's, we make that into a greater glory than it needs to be. Sometimes we, we even hold fast to holiday traditions. Well, we can't go and help this person then because this is when the family does this and this and this and this. It's not that you shouldn't have plan, fa- family plans and traditions. I'm not saying that, but you can't cling to those things like you cling to Christ, you see? Remember when Jesus said, if, if you love father and mother, mother more than you love me, then you're not worthy of me. He, he always comes first. Sometimes we hold fast to uh, cultural norms. We kind of get caught up in, you know, whatever the thing is today. We might hold fast to political convictions. I mean, the country's been in a, in a turmoil lately. And we're trying to think about, you know, what should our position be in Christ with everything that's, that's going on. And sometimes we're more impacted by the culture and the politics than, than we are influencing those things. Sometimes we hold fast to fleshly passions and desires. Sometimes, like me, we hold fast to success, achievement, trying to accomplish things so I feel better about myself. Or public opinion, even. We can hold fast to what the country seems to be thinking at the time, or even your best friend or small group. And then lastly, we hold fast to selfish habits or activities. At one point, it may have been good, but God wants us to always be evaluating what we think about, what we say, what we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. It says a lot about whether we're being satisfied with those lesser glories as opposed to the greater glory of Christ. 
Well, as I mentioned in my introduction, pursuing worldly success was the lesser glory that I pursued during my growing up years. You see, I thought if I accomplished more than most people that I would be admired, respected, and valued. But God got my attention through that a serious knee injury, so I'd be open to pursuing him instead of, the, of, instead of pursuing selfish success. But you know, sometimes we don't quite learn all the lessons God has for us through just one incident. Have you noticed that in your own life, that God sometimes has to keep teaching the same lesson over and over and over again? So after graduating from college, finding a teaching job, marrying Sharon, hi, sweetie, I love you, uh, and having a beautiful baby girl, God showed me one more time that I was not in control of my life and the dreams that I had for me and my family. He decided in his wisdom to give Sharon and me a handicapped little girl that we named Marie. Once again... God was doing his work in my life and showing me what true greatness was all about. One of these days I'm going to talk about Marie Grant and I'm not going to tear up. <laughs> you don't think so? Okay, you're probably right. So learning to love and care for Marie was perhaps the greatest challenge and greatest privilege of my life. And especially as I watched Sharon love Marie day in and day out, I saw the greatness and glory of being a servant. Just as Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now I would love to report that I'm finally let go of the lesser glory of achieving success, but I'm still very much a work in progress and still learning to pursue the supreme glory of Christ. But I do know this. You can't hold fast to the supreme glory of Christ when your arms and your heart are clinging to other things. Search me, O God, and know my heart, right? Prayer of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. All right, so let's, let's wrap up this passage in Colossians. Look at verse 20. Colossians 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Paul asks the Colossians why they're living according to human teachings if they've died to the things of the world in Christ. Why are you living like this when in Christ you've died to this? That's the question. And I thought of uh, this passage in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. Jesus quoting from the prophet Isaiah. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And if you will, one last time, would you turn back to Galatians? Last passage that we'll look at outside of finishing up Colossians here. 
You know, the wonderful thing about reading all of Paul's letters, as you begin to read them over and over again, you begin to see just how he overlaps with different things and how he fills in gaps in one, from one book to the other. It's just really such a, a wonderful thing. It's kind of like putting a puzzle together. Uh, look at verse 8, Galatians 4, 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. In other words, lower, lowercase g. But now that you have come to know God, that's the human perspective, or rather to be known by God, God's perspective, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You want to put yourself back under the, all those regulations and that, that judgment and people saying, you, you know, you've disqualified yourself. Why would you want to do that? He says, you observe days and months and season and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Hold fast to Christ. He tells the Galatians something similar by saying they've turned back to the weak and worthless principles of the world that they were enslaved to when they didn't know Christ. The world says be rule keepers. The Bible says be Christ followers. The world tells us to be rule keepers, but, but God says, the Bible says, be Christ followers. Oh, yes, there's teachings of Jesus that we need to follow and apply. I'm not saying that. But our main focus is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and run after him. And he'll guide you through the Holy Spirit with his word. Last verse I want to share with you is 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says to the Corinthian church, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That could be said really of all of us. We're all in danger without the maturity of Christ and the help of the body leaning into Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit, we're all in danger of being deceived and being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that's why it's important to be mature in Christ and be able to discern good from evil. So last verse in Colossians, verse 23. These have indeed, speaking of these things, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. They look good on the outside and asceticism and severity to the body. But all of those efforts, all of those works are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. None of those can change a person's sin nature. Only Christ can do that. And all of our rule-keeping only promotes pride, not glorifying Christ. Behavior modification or outward change is not the goal. Hopefully there will be outward change, but the goal is to, is to be a new creation in Christ. And that inner change then, that heart change, impacts our outward behavior. So in conclusion, Jesus Christ is the only supreme glory in the universe 
since the universe was created by him and for him. To seek a lesser glory doesn't make sense, and it robs us of living out our glorious purpose. So we should hold fast to the supremacy of Christ. We should hold fast to his unchanging nature. We should hold fast to his wisdom and knowledge. We should hold fast to his authority and power, his providence and sovereignty. We should hold fast to his all-powerful word, his purity and righteousness. We should hold fast to his trustworthiness and faithfulness. We should hold fast to his forgiveness and patience with us. We should hold fast to his complete dependence and obedience to the Father. And we should hold fast to his grace and mercy. And we should hold fast to his everlasting love. We should hold fast to the head in order to be nourished, knit together, and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Hold fast, brothers and sisters. Hold fast to Jesus and never let go. He's the glory that we were created for and not the lesser glories of the world. Let's pray.